0: And now, coming to you live from our coast-to-coast trading desk, this is Moby.co Live, a weekly live podcast discussing stocks, the economy, and the mechanics that make your money grow. I'm your host, Peter Starr. I'm joined, as always, by Moby.co co-founder and our lead analyst, Justin Kramer. Justin, dude, what's good? How's life over in your false autumn you got going in New York?
1: Good, good so far. Can't complain. Easy day in the markets, crazy week in the markets, too.
0: Yeah, that seems to be the major theme. Like, usually Q4 is when you see the most heat on the economy, and it's just we have a very hot economy already. So, watching all of this volatility, watching all these like weird little situations burple up as we deal more and more with the reverberations of all of 2020, and we'll be dealing with them for years to come, it, it seems. So, Justin, there's a lot of noise coming out of market reports this week. There's not a lot of signal to latch on to. There's so many like disparate things. Like, crypto is on a tear right now, but at the same time, oil prices are high. So, supply chain are still messy and we've got demand and volatility for days. But I guess the best place to start is like the latest earnings, rally driving the S&P right now as we get through the very end of the day, right before close here on Thursday. What's the deal? What's driving these really huge earnings calls that are just shooting the market up? What's going on here, man?
1: Yeah, so it's a great question. And there's a few things. One of them is just sales work has been been so robust. Um, If you look at the supply chain, something we've been talking about for a bit now, it's so backed up. And so demand is... Demand is so backed up and pent up that when uh, some of these supply issues get fixed and you're seeing them slowly start to unwind in certain industries while they kind of go in the the opposite direction in others. But in the companies we've seen reports so far for some supply that's starting to come back, the demand is is starting to pick up. And that creates this like cyclical effect um, that kind of spirals into each other where you get this increase in demand that happens quarter over quarter as more supply gets there. And then ultimately, you see this growth in numbers quarters over quarter. So when the most recent earnings report kind of came out to lead this week, it kind of, I think, surpassed some people's expectations. And that's why the market really started running off. And then some of the inflationary stuff seems to be a little bit kind of ignored for now. Shockingly, we saw the market sit down um, not too bad yesterday when, when they announced it. But I, I would have thought we would have saw more of a reaction. But I guess the, the earnings is really kind of you know, making sure that the other stuff is ignored more or less. Um, But the interest rate talk with interest rates starting to creep back up since kind of springtime till now. Um, A lot of the banks, too, are starting to kind of pop back up as interest rate talks, as Fed talks, um, to raise, you know, just interest rates overall, Um, profitability, you know, interest on their their outstanding loans. And that's why we saw JP Morgan, Bank of America, a lot of those kind of finance stocks pop Um, today and then also over the last year
0: or so. Exactly. And it's one of those things where, you know, we are still seeing a lot of supply chain woes, but it's one of those things where that's only driving stock prices down as people can't quite match demand. The moment they match that demand, it just completely pops off in terms of profitability. So the fact that demand is just so... High right now. And so for some companies who can figure it out, who can vertically integrate, it's going to be a great thing. But the main thing driving this rally is services, obviously. And, and banking too, based on the back of interest rates. And so that kind of gets me to one of the major reports you did this week, Justin. We've kind of we've talked about the market as a whole really quickly. So let's dive into some specifics and get some some of your thoughts on a specific piece of analysis you did this week. And I'm talking about SoFi. SoFi has been a really controversial stock ever, ever since it launched in the SPAC space, and I wanted to get some more in-depth thoughts from you in terms of what is their future obviously this year it's all about financial services if you even mention the word fintech like within 50 feet of a vc they will just hurl a can of money at you so there's a lot of that interest there's a lot of demand there too but why sofi specifically like you've got a really bullish view on sofi moving forward and i'd love to get more of your thoughts in terms of what sofi is doing to grow what sofi is doing to make sure that they establish a really strong position and what financial services look like moving forward let's just dive into that real quick dude
1: so I guess first you were talking about just like how investors are so into fintech. And I was just saying before I jumped into SoFi, the brief recap of where we stand, because obviously, as you mentioned, investors are so into fintech right now. We got a lot of investor attention and we're able to raise our seed round very recently. So if you guys missed the news, we announced it on Instagram, but we just closed out our initial seed round of funding. Uh, Which we're super excited about and we're super excited about it because we're going to be scaling up hiring like crazy. We're going to be bringing on a ton of new writers, new engineers, new designers, um, new analysts, I mean, you name it, like we're going to be hiring for it. And so we're really excited to kind of expand our product, bring new features, and continue building on honestly what we're doing now. So, we're really excited to have all you guys kind of here as, as early adopters. It means a lot. But we appreciate the following so far. But yeah, so for the actual SoFi stuff, it's a boring answer, but it was always like kind of a uh, a SoFi hater. They they were as part of the SPAC trend, they were part of the Chamath trend. And a lot of what he was putting out at the time in retrospect was a lot of noise. However, looking back, SoFi was one of the companies. There's, there's a few others that he ha- he ultimately didn't recommend that we are fans of. That is doing something very different than most others are doing. A lot of people who are investing in SoFi or know of SoFi. Know them as the investor in platform. And you know they definitely have brokerage capabilities. They they have the ability to trade crypto. They they offer a lot. But what they're doing so different is. Their go-to-market is primarily scoped around credit. And if you're not familiar with credit or you don't have any outstanding debt or credit, it's an extremely dry, boring topic that people just want to catch. But what SoFi is doing, which is really different and unique, is that they're leading with credit for the younger generation. So for people who have student loans, who have debt for whatever reason, they're kind of sucking them in, giving them either lower rates or an easier platform to do their kind of overall loan needs. And then once they're there, especially for a lot of the loans they're extending, these 10, 20, 30-year loans, by the time that person pays them back, which is obviously a long period of time, they then suck them in with their other products. So that's where the investing kicks in. That's where the crypto kicks in. That's where they're applying for a bank charter right now that they want to hopefully do your banking. They are trying to become like a one-stop shop for all your financial needs, where Coinbase, obviously, they're super like deep into crypto. You have Robinhood, obviously, super deep into brokerage. And you have all these other players within like the consumer fintech space who are kind of specializing in some sort of niche. SoFi has kind of taken the opposite approach and more or less is trying to to do everything that you need as an individual. So if you need credit, you need banking, all the things I mentioned before, they, they do it for you. And so their kind of overall go-to-market is a lot harder to acquire users. But once they do acquire them, the metrics we've been looking at now that they're public is that they hold on to them better than pretty much anyone else in the industry and their lifetime value, which is basically how much they extract of every single user is far superior to everyone else. And so they're really just in this early stages of starting to ramp up the scale of their platform, of who they work with, um, and, and the money they got from going public is certainly like help is going to gear them towards kind of like that next generation of the company. So. Long story short, when we started looking under the hood more, seeing what the most recent numbers were and and kind of their overall differentiation versus everyone else, we got super bullish on the future of the company and the growth over the next year, especially when that bank charter hopefully gets approved, is, I think, relative to Robinhood and a lot of other ones, isn't being priced in and isn't getting the hype everyone else is. Um, So that's kind of where we see a lot of the upside. We put it into our models for our projections, and we we, really honestly think that the market is just – is missing a big opportunity here. A lot of stocks are getting hurt right now, so it may take a bit for this one to fully be realized. But I think this time next year when when people are starting to look at the earnings and the numbers aren't just projections and they're real, that's when a lot of this is going to start to come to fruition.
0: And to really drive this home for you, audience, I want to just point out, I want to do a very quick analogy here to really like lock this in. One thing that's really important to keep in mind is that right now, this moment is a moment of very cheap capital for services, specifically financial services. And the... Analogy I want to use is that back in like the early uh, 2010s, 2013 to 2016, we saw really cheap capital for e-commerce, and Amazon took advantage of that and vertically integrated and became like the one-stop shop for all life on Earth, earth essentially, for e-commerce, and that's how they dominated. You're seeing a very similar dynamic play out here with SoFi. Everyone else is trying to specialize, whereas SoFi is literally trying to own your entire financial journey from the moment you exit university to the point where you need to start a family to everything else you need credit-wise and like growing your wealth. So I'm also really bullish on SoFi looking at those factors because they can just keep borrowing, too. Like First of all, services are the only real game in town right now, And at the same time, financial services just have such great margins that they're going to be able to get really good capital for a really long time. So also very excited for it. We'll be we'll be checking back in Q2 2022 to see how Justin's really aggressive position played out there. For now, though, let's get into our next topic. So we we try to talk about specific stocks when we try to look at the economy as a whole. So it's really great to be in services right now. Really excited about it. But what I'm concerned about now is our general inflation worries. We talked about a lot about supply chain last week. We've talked a lot about lots of inflationary pressure at ports and stuff. But I think one thing too now we're seeing a lot of weird things like oil. The energy crisis in Europe is starting to hit the U. S. Like oil hit its all not an all-time high, but like a relative high today as well. What's going on in terms of oil and food, uh, Justin? What do you what are you thinking about in terms of inflation? Like everyone thinks it's transitory, but What's What are your thoughts in terms of just, like, all the heat in our economy right now?
1: No, it's, uh, it's a good point. And it, it's really interesting right now because the reports come out in the U.S. most recently that that inflation is running a lot more rampant than, like, the Fed cares to even still, frankly, admit. Um, and then you have in Europe, to your point, a lot of the stuff going off gas. In the U.S. there's food. I mean, Social Security also, I think, was just increased by the most it has been in, like, the last decade. So there's a lot of indications that inflation is not transitory and that it's been here for some time and will continue to be here for some time. And the Fed's in an interesting position right now because in order to combat inflation— they typically use a handful of tactics, but given kind of where they sit with interest rates, where they see the outlook for COVID, and given where they stand kind of in the global economy, the tools at their disposal are little interesting in terms of what they're able to actually do going forward to fight inflation. I think that the market has shown its resilience, resiliency over the last few years through COVID, through a lot of scares, and so that's why on days like today we see like large rebounds when corporate earnings go up the long-winded way of saying these are real problems in the economy but until there is a real kind of question mark on certain sectors that are leading the s p so like really right now it's healthcare finance financials and tech i don't really see that dragging down the market over the long term even with any pickups in you know bad markings of economic indicators so you saw the most, very recently, you saw the most amount of people quit their jobs voluntarily over the last quarter than ever before. People, and there's a whole supply shortage on the actual non skilled side of the waiver force. So people are finding better opportunities. People are making money. Companies are making money as they're starting to like continue to kind of scale out their operations. Inflation is becoming an issue. It will be an issue. Um, I don't think that, again, I don't think it'll drag down the market. There, there may be an interesting, and inf- I think we're far from it, but I think there may be an interesting inflection point where inflation runs so rampant that people are starting to be discouraged from spending overall, which then will have a really robust effect on the actual corporate earnings. But again, until that point happens, which I don't think we're at yet, I, I don't think that most American um, investors, especially on the institutional side, are going to be taking their money out of assets, out of these asset classes anytime soon. You look across the economy, too, there's not really a better place right now to, to find upside with interest rates so low. Fixed income instruments are at 30-year lows, not really going to be pouring their money into there. It's, it's kind of the best of the worst right now. So it's a long-winded way of saying it's a problem, but I don't really see it dragging down the stock market for for some time.
0: And it is complicated, because what it is really is heat, right? It's when you look at the inflationary pressures, it used to be just monetary, like when you learn about this in like macroeconomics, like 101 and 201, you think just about in terms of monetary supply, but the inflationary pressures we're seeing are all the result of supply chain issues, uh, the cost of getting anything into the United States right now is astronomical. The cost of getting energy anywhere to, from, or out of Europe is ridiculous. And therefore, you're just what you're seeing is those kind of like fundamental foundational costs rippling across, making inflation happen, rather than like there's just too much money in the economy, which I guess you could still say, like there's more money in the US economy than there ever has been before, but there's also more productivity. So it can go either way. So when you think about that, when they say inflation is transitory, they're talking about that in terms of the inflationary pressures themselves being transitory. The port in LA and Long Beach is open 24-7 now means I can't drive anywhere because I live on the 110 and that's just full of tractor trailers full of shipping containers now, which is fine. I work from home, who cares? But just, just, just keep that in mind that we are working the problem a lot faster now. And so there is a small chance that this could be a transitory situation as well, given that the inflationary pressures are kind of those real world ones where costs are rising in places where there are solvable problems. Either way, When we get into another report you did, as we kind of get to the back half of this here, Justin, one thing you see too, you mentioned, first of all, 4.3 million people voluntarily quit their jobs in the last quarter, which is the most ever, which is staggering. And that's of 6.3 separations, which means two thirds of the people who don't have jobs anymore, quit. And that also means that ties into the unemployment report that came out today, which wasn't as bad as it should be with that many people sort of out of work. So the question is, where did these people go? And at the same time, we think about food inflation, we're seeing those skilled laborers leave that labor pool entirely and therefore lots of smaller restaurants and lots of small businesses dry up in america and so you're seeing the kind of classic story of the last 20 years where small players kind of get dried out where big players come in when you're looking in that food space justin you in a recent report have outlined three companies that you think are kind of like the kings there when you're you know, those big, one of those bigger companies with a lot of that supply chain, how can you take advantage of a situation like this? And how do you see a lot of growth happening in the food space, even though there's literal food inflation right now?
1: Yeah, no, it's an interesting point. And on the unemployment rate side, um, what a lot of people actually don't realize is that the unemployment rate is a function of people looking for work. So all those people that quit their job actually aren't counted in the unemployment rate because they're not actively looking for work. So... The number is actually gonna be like understated a bit, but having said that, the the true reason why all these people have quit their jobs is not like a survey out there to figure it out. So I'm assuming there's greener pastures somewhere, um, but until there's actually definitive data, it's hard to point to any single factor. Um, But yeah, so kind of transitioning over onto the food part. It's really interesting, because to your point um, there's so much inflation right now and COVID like fundamentally changed the food business. 90,000 restaurants closed in the pandemic, and it represents 4% of the United States' GDP. And so it's obviously a massive impact into the economy, and a lot of local businesses, obviously, (laughs) were the ones who had to bear the brunt of this, while a lot of corporate chains were able to kind of keep pushing on. They invested in technology. They don't have to worry about, like, supply chain issues as much since they're dealing directly with distributors and manufacturers. So – it's unfortunate, but it's the reality, is that a lot of money started moving more towards these large corporate chains, people who have scale and reach, and then the local shops that are obviously important for culture and important for the local economy are getting pushed to the side. So it's, it's, a, it's a sad story, but it's a continuation of, of things we've been seeing for a while now got really amplified with COVID. Um, so that's why in that article, that post that we pushed out, we talked about the companies that are able to kind of you know, circumvent a lot of the issues that the small businesses in America are facing. So when you look at young brands, you look at McDonald's and you look at Domino's, you know, they're not the the sexiest companies out there that are going to go double uh, year over year, but they're companies that are, they don't have to worry about the supply chain as much. And if they do, they have pricing power. They're invested deep in technology. So for delivery, for integrations with third parties. They don't have to nearly worry as much, or if they do, they have the money to kind of continue on any uh, continue past any issues. Um, and so, when you look at their sales numbers, they're 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 as strong as they've ever been. And Domino specifically is an interesting one because even pre-pandemic, they're a business that has one of the, has been one of the best IPOs since the early 2000s. They've returned an insane amount of capital over the years to shareholders. They're growing like crazy. Um, it's a name that a lot of people. Sleep on because it's a it's a pizza company, but these companies and companies like them, other other chains, not all of the chains, because Starbucks is having some issues. Um, they're going to continue like doing really well, and the, you see it with like the wealth gap in America between the rich and the poor. The 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 kind of gap here between corporate uh, corporate food versus local food is going to continue widening, which again is unfortunate, but is is just the reality of the world we live in. So. As investors, these are kind of like the stocks and the types of companies we need to really be cognizant of.
0: And that makes a lot of sense, and that's that kind of does tie into the whole conversation we've been having. So, audience, when you when you see this kind of inflationary pressure, when you're thinking about how to invest in sort of this very hot environment, the main thing you need to keep in mind is: is during these periods where costs are going up, it's going to be the larger players who can who can vertically integrate and take over their supply chain who are going to survive. Whereas you can see that a lot a, a lot of food services companies, specifically, and a lot of small businesses, only survived because of how low wages were allowed to be for the last 20 years and so once you have wage pressure rising all of those businesses kind of get wiped out so when you're thinking about trying to build your portfolio right now it's less about looking for moon behavior it's less looking for those huge like 50 to uh, 75% upside in a year and just making sure that you are beating the market as much as possible as your investments become your main inflation hedge. So you think on that growth mindset okay. as opposed to overly cautious. This is the time to be medium aggressive.
1: Totally agree. I think people are just getting so ahead of themselves. They saw Bitcoin go up 10x, 20x in the last few years. They've seen so many investments just radically like increase in size. I think the days of having these like crazy outside returns for honestly relatively low risk are a little bit behind us for for over the medium term. So to your point, like looking for companies that are a little bit lower risk that still offer upside but aren't going to 10 20x, a boring answer, but honestly the people who are out there searching for the 10 20x are taking such ridiculous risk that yeah, maybe they'll get it and they'll they'll find a coin, they'll find a stock, they'll find a company that they can do that for them. But for every you know, one person who's able to do that, there's going to be 99% of people who fail. And it's, it's an unfortunate answer because obviously everyone wants to be making as much money as possible all the time. But the environment we're in right now, the, the maturity of even the crypto industry, which is a hilarious thing to say within itself. Um, I, I think that, like, if, if you think this is going to continue again, or you can, can put money in an NFT or put money into a stock and expect it to 2, 3x in one year, and there's multiple ones doing that. I think those days are, are behind us for the bit. And especially on the NFT side, we've even seen the market cool off there a bit too. So I, I know I'm getting a little bit of on tangent here, but on the NFT side, a lot of the money now is going towards the creators of the NFT, the people who are minting them. And uh, the sellers are making money, but not nearly as much as they were even you know, six months ago. People who are actually making it, selling it, doing the creation, that's where the money is, is to be had on the exchanges where the selling is. It's this cycle right now where again, people are greedy and they're and they're looking for assets that can rapidly appreciate. I just think a lot of people are, are gonna get burned pretty pretty hard. It's gonna suck, honestly.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where the of all of the markets that heated up the fastest, it was the NFT market. Like it was even faster than the altcoin boom we saw in like 2017, 2018. Like it's been absolutely wild watching these these on-chain assets just come out of nowhere. So I'm really excited to see what happens to this very crowded, very hot space in Web3. But that does give us a very nifty transition, Justin, into. Right now, we only have we have one real question from the audience came into my DMs, actually. So if you have any other questions, audience, based on this conversation, hit us up in that voice chat, hit hit us up in general. Justin, going back into crypto, the only question I got so far from our audience. Obviously, our audience is very excited about uh, crypto heating up, Bitcoin being up, what, ten thousand dollars in like the last week and a half. A lot of altcoins sort of picking up as well. So uh, real quick call here, Justin, Ethereum or Solana, what's what's your what's your pick?
1: For like what time frame?
0: I would say medium term because we're living in that medium term. I'm sure the question was for the short term, like which one's going to, you know, have the biggest pump, which you can't ever predict in the short term, but medium term metrics. Like when you're looking at the big player or the small player in DeFi, how do you feel in terms of who has that better medium term upside?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's all a function of risk. It's like, do you want to be taking on a ton of risk? Yeah, like If the answer is yes, then Solana definitely is going to offer a lot more upside than Ethereum is. If you're looking for something that's a little bit more stable than Ethereum is. At the end of the day, Solana, again, this is so ridiculous that I'm even saying this, Solana is a little bit past the point where it's going to go up 10x while the rest of the market goes up, is it, relatively flat. Those coins out there, if you're seeking those crazy returns, those are the ones that are like a little bit more off the beaten path, whereas Solana is not at Ethereum's level yet, obviously, but it's starting to get to the point where it's going to start being So large that it starts to track the broader crypto market. So if the crypto goes up 10, maybe it goes up 12 or, or maybe it goes up five. Um, but you're taking on significantly more risk and chasing not as much upside. So it's a long winded way of saying, I think you should have exposure to both. If you're trying to minimize your risk, I'd rather go with Ethereum um, but Solana over the over the next five years has, has still has a ton of ton of more upside. So I like it as a longer term pick, but in the shorter to medium, I think um Ethereum is if if you look at a price chart of a Solana too, really starting to cons- consolidate around the one fifty level. There there obviously could be breakouts. Um, based on the technical analysis we've done so far, it should continue kind of going that way until there's any some sort of like catalyst to them. But again, if it all of a sudden goes up twenty, thirty percent, so is, so is the rest of crypto. It's not gonna be Uh, having any sort of breakout pattern.
0: No, I love that. And that really kind of cements what we've been talking about for this whole conversation. We went... We had a winding road to the whole economy we had here. We had a lot of really good di- discussion about uh, inflation, about serv- the services economy, about everything that kind of goes through um, just the heat that we're seeing in the economy right now. And the ultimate answer to every single question that we had today was think medium term. Uh, Long term, it's really hard to tell like how big risk is. Short term is going to be mayhem, but medium two to five year term, that's where you're going to see how you're going to chart the best possible path through this period of, I don't think it's going to be years of inflation, so to speak. I think we're going to power through the supply chain issues and then supply will catch up to demand and that'll be just a super fun period on the market. Maybe Q3 2022, Q1 2023, we'll see. But the main thing to keep in mind is you have to think medium now, and that's going to be how you make sure that your wealth keeps up with costs as they continue to rise. So Justin, a really, yeah.
1: yeah, I was going to say the people who, yeah, because the people out there who are saying, Oh, Solana is going to be at a thousand dollars in five, 10 years from now, or we're going to do this. Honestly, those people are full of shit. There, there's no fundamentals. Like there, it's a team that has a ton of funding and a lot of these projects have a ton of funding, but, they're so early in their business. If you look at any venture capitalist or any like investor who, is, who truly has like a, uh, an understanding of what's going on, a lot of it is a crapshoot. So like, there's no fundamental way to say it's gonna be at here in X date. A lot of it is, do you fundamentally believe in the project, in the investors, in the people working at the company? Um, do you, and so do you believe in them? And it's like, there's no way to quantify it, but that's how you have to think about some of these longer term projects. To your point, in the medium term, in the shorter term, there are certain things we can look for and we can use technical analysis and we can look at the broader kind of pricing trends of the industry. But, I mean, for for everyone who's listening now, if you hear like Gary Vee and you hear some of these people get on and just talk about how this coin is going to the moon in the next 10 years, a lot of it is just pure speculation or they have underlying motives um, for wanting to pump a lot of these coins. Like that's something, especially in the crypto industry, you really – honestly got to watch
0: out for especially in the defi space especially when you're thinking about the ecosystems being built by ethereum and solana just thinking about it in terms of an asset class is kind of the wrong way of thinking about it right now the main thing the main energy you can get out of web3 that is solana and ethereum and those kind of adjacent defi blockchains is being part of that infrastructure. Like there's a lot of people who are slowly but surely learning how to code, whatever that weird language is you have to code to make Ethereum contracts and Solana contracts. But there's a lot of work out there too. So you should be looking into a lot of these communities and seeing what DAOs are coming out, people looking for folks to help build those projects because that's real money. I mean, well, it's real Solana, whatever. Um, But it's one of those things where if you're part of the building class on Web3, it's probably a lot more upside than just buying and holding. If it's one of those things where if you're thinking about side hustles, if you're thinking about... Uh, adding to your productivity. You're going to you have a lot of upside from taking your skills and donating to them, not necessarily donating them, but bringing them to a Web3 platform like anybody building on top of Ethereum and Solana. And that's maybe how you should be thinking. When you're in this very inflation heavy state, it's going to be actual building that's going to build help your wealth go up not necessarily just the kind of financialization we've seen so far but either way justin it's been a really awesome conversation i appreciate you sticking with it. do you have any final thoughts for us anything else on the back end here man anything you want us to keep in mind as we roll through to the end of the week and uh the rest of october
1: yeah 100 um right now is like investors and it's been like this for a while it will continue to be like this the volatility the choppiness it's tough to stomach but that's why, again, we say it every day. We, sound, we probably sound boring and like broken records mm-hmm. at this point. But if you have a 5, 10-year time horizon, then this day-to-day, like, bullshit, it doesn't matter. So yes, you need to be paying attention to the economy, and you need to be paying attention. But once you initiate or you buy one of the things we recommend because you fundamentally believe in like what we're saying or you believe in kind of the, the stocks or the investments as well, like don't be looking at your portfolio every single day. Don't be staring at the stock gains go up and down. You're just going to drive yourself crazy. Um, volatile, it's like if you fundamentally believe in it today, unless anything has, has changed in over the next year, over the next two years, then there's no reason you need to be selling the stock anytime soon. The crypto side of things, we are doing active trade. So that's something that we are flipping daily, weekly, monthly. So that, that's something you need to be aware of. But when there are stocks that we're saying we're holding for multi-year periods, just, just deal with the volatility. It sucks. You can't be measuring your wealth to the, to its highest point you were worth 100k six months ago and now you're worth 90k you can't be like i'm down 10k um it, you just, investing doesn't work like that you can't be measuring yourself from your high point there's going to be dips there's going to be lows anyone who's been invested in crypto for over five years fundamentally knows that so I'll, I'll leave everyone with there's volatility in the market today we fundamentally believe that the markets will continue to trend upwards over the next few years and the stocks we put out, while they, they will experience upsides and downsides for the next several months and quarters, and these are things we
0: fundamentally
1: believe in. And yes, we're not going to be right on 100% of what we do, but you know, I think our track record has spoke pretty good for for what we have to date.
0: And that's a hell of a bow to put on it. And I think one thing, you keep you, you keep talking about boring as if it's like this negative thing, but in an economy like this, boring is beautiful, folks. Like you need to go boring. <laughs> Our attention economy is so hot right now, too. Like, everyone, the only way you can get ahead is by just being as loud as possible and saying the sky is falling or saying that Bitcoin's going to go to 200k by December or any of this wild stuff. You have to keep in mind that a lot of the noise comes from the market pressures within our actual knowledge economy, too. All of the noise isn't quite as good as the actual signal, which is medium-term... 15 to 20% gains year over year, and just you know, holding the line. Boring is beautiful, that's how you're going to play in this. Justin, I really appreciate your time. Audience, thank you so much for being here with us. Just so you know, I'm gonna just go ahead and read the credits here, man, because I, we've kept you for long enough. Uh, just so you know, audience, this conversation was produced, hosted, and voiced by me, Peter Starr. If you have any questions for us moving forward or any suggestions for future topics, let us know. Hit us up in that voice chat channel or just go ahead and go to Moby General. If you're listening to this on a hypothetical podcast feed, feel free to email us at hello.atmoby.co. Find us on Discord and DM me directly. I'm Moby Star here. Anything at all? Anything at all? We want to make sure that we're actually serving you, our community, because the reason we can talk calmly and soberly about all of these really like scary sounding but actually scary market forces comes from the faith that you have in us our brilliant and probably beautiful audience so thank you so much for being here with us thank you so much for being a part of the mobi community as we really start scaling here it's it's an awesome ride and we're just going to keep taking this up and up audience thank you so much for your time and as always i like to leave you with peace love and incremental gains everyone be well thank you so much.